Hello, and welcome to Dr. M's Women and Children First Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. M, and this is episode number 35. Today is a special day for me because I get to pal around with my partner in crime, Dr. Sheila Kilbane. Dr. Kilbane and I go way back, uh, probably over two decades now, when we were both looking at the world of medicine through a lens that didn't make sense to us. Uh, We were struggling to see why kids were suffering with so much chronic disease, despite having all of this fancy pharmacological treatments. And we were left a little dumbfounded. She, like I, completed the fellowship in the University of Arizona's Integrative Medicine Center under Dr. Andrew Weil. And we had a collective belief ever since those early days. We worked together briefly in our clinic for about four years, and then she has gone on to do some incredible stuff on her own. She learned her trade as a student of zoology, getting a Bachelor of Arts at the Miami University in Florida. She went on to medical school at the Ohio State University College of Medicine, and then completed a residency in the Carolinas Medical Center here in Charlotte, North Carolina. What Dr. Kilbane and I decided we wanted to talk about was really get deep into the weeds of what she and I both have learned over the last 20 years about how to take care of kids. She is a pediatrician like I am, and there's a lot to be said that doesn't really make it onto the airwaves where it should. So we really talk a lot about things related to chronic infections, asthma, eczema. Her work has taken her on a different path than mine, And that path is a beautiful one. She has published a book called The Healthy Kids and Happy Moms. She also has a Healthy Kids and Happy Moms program, which is a seven-step process to reduce and prevent chronic childhood illnesses from the inside out. And you know very well from my way of seeing the world that the only way to cure most things is from the inside out. And to try and do that from the outside in is a, a bit harder. The book is available online and you can pick it up or you can go to her website, SheilaKilbane.com. As my partner in crime, we really have a lot to uh, go back to in the history of our collective relationships together and had a lot of fun. So this was a really enjoyable hour-long conversation for me. So with all that being said, here is Dr. Sheila Kilbane. Good afternoon, Sheila Kilbane, my good friend from what looks like Lake Wiley there in your background from what you just told me. Looks absolutely gorgeous. Welcome to Dr. M's Women and Children First Podcast, and I'm absolutely grateful to have you here today to talk about your life, your experiences, and your book, The Fascinating and Wonderful Healthy Kids, Happy Moms, Seven Steps to Heal and Prevent Common Childhood Illnesses. So welcome. Thank you, Margarita, as I like to call you. Um, I'm excited to to be here. We have certainly come full circle together, and we're going to have a great chat, and I'm sure we'll have a lot of laughs. And it's I'm looking forward to it. It's been it's been a couple of years since we first met. All those uh, prior decade and a half ago, and and what a what a life we've led together over the years. But I'm I'm thrilled to start this. So, I, I just wanted to say before you before we get into it, I just want to share with your listeners how we met because it was 
You were so gracious. I mean, I lit because I was about to start my own practice. I was leaving um, conventional medicine, my conventional medical practice. And my friend, Dr. Linda Chun, who is a, a, a physician in Columbus, Ohio, she said to me, Sheila, there are two pediatricians in my integrative medical fellowship through, you know, with the Andrew Weil who live in outside of Charlotte. And I was like, no, there aren't. Cause I would know them. And so she, I looked you up and sure enough, you were in Salisbury. So I had to go up for a, something else in Salisbury. And I just popped into your office and I went to the front desk and I said, is Kathy Russo or Chris Magrita here? And you came out, you were in between patients. You had no idea who I was. And we chatted and I said, do you like the fellowship? You said, best thing I ever did. And, you know, so I did it, it was probably a couple of two or three years, you know, after you had finished it that I did it, but he, he like no questions asked, you just walked out into the lobby and had a chat with me. And so I just think it speaks to your character and your um, graciousness that we even met that first time. Well, you know, I, I'll say she, you know, when we sat that, when that time happened, it was, uh, my experience in the fellowship was so profound that anybody who touched that space was somebody I wanted to get in contact with. And as soon as I met you, it was clear that the energy was right. We were supposed to meet, we were supposed to talk and do things together. So, you know, I appreciate that. And, and again, it doesn't happen unless you walk in my door at our practice. So as it was meant to be, it became, and, and now it has become a wonderful, fruitful relationship. So let's segue now. Um, to, to me, this is a conversation of, of pure joy because we are really going to dive deep into the things that make a difference in humans' lives, right? So the rubber meets the road, as Dr. Bland likes to say, the antecedent risk factors of disease that we're trying to mitigate before we get there. And to some extent, your book is a primer for parents to take a peek into what those things could be before you even have to see the provider. So let's really just dive into your mindset pre-book. What, what was going on when you sat down in your practice? You're seeing all these patients and you're like, you know what? I keep saying a lot of these things over and over again. What do I need to do? So you go and you write this book. What was the what was the genesis of why you you really sat down to write this book? Yeah. And it's, as I like to say, I really stumbled upon this information. And just like you, I was, well, for me, it was shortly out of residency and I was in the rooms, right? Seeing kids with recurrent ear and sinus infections, eczema, reflux, asthma, you know, bumps on the back of the arms, constipation, abdominal pain. And they would be in, I would give them either a steroid, right? To decrease inflammation. It would be inhaled, topical, put in their nose or oral so a steroid, an antibiotic, or an antacid, they would get better over the next two weeks and we'd stop the medication and then they would get sick again and they'd be back in the office a month later. And I'm just not somebody who's going to keep doing the same thing over and over if it's not working. So I started reading and researching and, and I really delved into environmental allergies a significant amount because I would say 60% of what we see in primary care pediatrics is in part driven with in environmental allergies in mind. However, now that I know a lot more, 
it's really food is another one of the really big drivers. And I was just also listening to moms. And there's a case that I, I talk about all the time whenever I do talks and I write about in the book. And it was a mom and I'll remember it like it was yesterday. She was, I'd seen, been seeing the little boy since he was born and he had eczema and recurrent ear infections. And she came in, he was probably six-ish months at the time. And she said, you know what? Maybe a little bit older. She said, Dr. Kilbane, I took Johnny off of dairy and his eczema improved. And I was like, well, I have no idea why that is, which I laugh at now, but keep him off of it. And then I'll call my friends who are naturopathic doctors who studied extensively about nutrition in their training and I'll figure out what we're going to feed him once he turns a year of age and you stop breastfeeding. So the, the eczema improved, but it didn't go away altogether. And the ear infections also improved, but persisted. So I had to send them to get ear tubes and there was a snafu with the surgery, didn't get the surgery, but then she had right before his one year well check, mom had a big omelet, right? So a whole bunch of eggs and he had a huge eczema flare. So we said, okay, it's not only dairy, but it's also eggs. So let's keep both of those out of his diet. Since mom was breastfeeding, she kept them out of her diet as well. And I said, come back in three weeks and let me look at the fluid, see if it's still in his ears. And because we can have issues with hearing if you leave kids with fluid in their middle ear for too long. And she came back three weeks later, the fluid had cleared up, the eczema was completely gone. And what I know now from research is that with eczema, about a third of the time, it can be driven by food and dairy and eggs are the two big culprits. So I, that was sort of the beginning of all of this. And then I eventually started to realize I was just taking dairy out of the kids' diets and seeing these, these chronic issues either melting away or resolving altogether. And again, it was reflux. It was chronic runny nose, recurrent ear and sinus infections, asthma, those bumps on the back of the arms. They can be on the cheeks and the thighs as well. Constipation, abdominal pain. And it, I, I really thought it had to be a fluke because I thought if this were this simple, somebody would have told me about this. And, you know, meanwhile, my partners at the time were like, What's that voodoo medicine you're practicing, Sheila? <laughs> no, but then a, a year late, year or two later, they were like, all right, Sheila, what's the dose of those probiotics? So it was just, you know, and, and again, the naturopathic doctors had been studying these things for many years. So it was just looking at really reading about nutrition. And it was, it was phenomenal. And that's when your friend and my friend, Dr. Russ Greenfield, who was in the very first class of the Integrative Medicine Fellowship, he kept saying he had been my mentor during residency. And he said, Sheila, you've got to go do the fellowship. And I'm like, you know, Russ, I'm already doing these things. Why would I go, you know, spend all that money to hang a piece of paper on the wall? And thank God it took, it was like three years of him telling me this before I did it. And just like you, it absolutely changed my life. It was one of, it was the best thing. And I never wanted it to end because you go and we were with 65 other physicians who were all in the same boat as they were seeing these things change in their practice. 
but it wasn't the way that we were trained. And you needed more information, you needed more time, you needed more support. And that was the beauty of you and I working together because you had already been through the fellowship. So I was able to say, hey, Chris, what do you think about this kid? What do you think about this kid? Because that's so rare to have two people who had studied this to be in the same office and to be able to bounce these ideas off of. And, you know, how do we keep moving forward? Because what we know in medicine, right, is that it can take up to 30 years from from research to make it into clinical practice. So we were having to figure this out on the fly, but it was just it was case after case after case. And you you can't look the other way when you see that. Yeah. and, And what's fascinating about that reality is that, to your point, allopathic medicine, which is what we're traditionally trained in, does sit on double-blind placebo-controlled studies as the arbiter of what should allow change, right? And COVID's proven that. Now we have MedRxiv, these websites that are pumping out research on COVID real time, because if we don't have it real time, we're in trouble. And why are we not doing that all the time? Which is so fascinating now. I think the Again, the blinders are off on all science that we shouldn't be waiting five, six, seven, eight, ten years to make decisions, especially to your point again, K- milk protein intolerance or this casein protein that's in dairy that's causing all the symptoms you described is really a strange reality because it's not IgE mediated. And for the audience, that means it's not a true allergy. You send this patient to the allergist and the allergist skin tests them or blood tests them and says, oh, by the way, your kid's not allergic, have dairy again, no problem. Meanwhile, they come back to us. Now they're back full tilt again. And we're like, it's a different physiologic process. And all of that stuff, if we don't have the biomarker, of disease automatically they're like well it doesn't exist therefore stop it and you and i know that's just totally unrealistic and so much of what you're speaking to and what we've learned over the years since doing the fellowship and other study is that much of this stuff is ends of one ends of five ends of experiences somebody's genetics are different than this person's why did this person die of covid or that one didn't well we know there's so many variables right so that is just you know, music to my ears of understanding the way things should be and the fact that you did decide to look at this from the perspective of, hey, this doesn't make sense. My patient's better doing this that I learned here. Why is this not accepted? Why are we told this can't be? And then you know, basically saying to the community that says this is not okay, hey, I don't care. I'm doing what's best for the kid because that's why I went into medicine in the first place. And to me, that's the most beautiful part of what we've been, you know, collectively doing over the years. So go go now to the roots of this sheet. You know, when you look at medicine now, you as, you know, many other practitioners see there are root analyses here that need to be addressed. So the biggest thing you've paid a lot of attention to is this word inflammation. And in the old days, we used to say, hey, inflammation means you got, you know, sprained ankle or you had this or you had that. So here's some ibuprofen, you're fine. But oh, by the way, your kidney disease is just your kidney disease or your autoimmune disease is just, oh, bad luck. You have a genetic problem or your heart disease is, well, you have genes that your grandparents did. So here's some Lipitor. What really is going on? And let's, we can centricize this. I don't even know if that was the right word. That was fascinating. We can make it pediatric centric. Let's say that. 
Yes. And we'll, we'll make it pediatric centric. And as you know, Chris, is our families, because we all recommend that the whole family do this together and then parents experience significant improvements with their own health. So the way, and that's part of why I wrote the book is because we're in these busy clinics and we know that we have to make these, recommend these changes. And it's a, it's a lot of work for the families. It's, you know, it's easy for us to write that recipe, you know, take dairy out of the diet, but you get home and what do you do? And so, and I had created all of these handouts. So part of the book was me coalescing all the handouts that I had made so that I could survive in clinic and not be there till too, too late at night. So when we break down inflammation, so this concept, what is inflammation? It's when the body is sending extra cells and extra white blood cells often to an area in order to heal it. But what happens so a sprained ankle is a good example. You know, you sprain the ankle, we need some white blood cells to heal that tissue. And if we have a lot of, if we're eating a lot of processed foods, junk foods, sugar, we're going to have a lot of baseline inf inflammation. So that, that ankle is going to really blow up even more so than it would if you had a healthy diet. And so inflammation is equals illness in most cases. And in conventional medicine, we assign a lot of those things diagnoses codes. So again, if we go back to, right, we, we can have eczema, we can have bumps, keratosis pilaris, which are bumps on the skin, chronic runny nose, um, asthma, wheezing, all those things. So there's an underlying disease process, but then there's extra inflammation that is making the disease process worse. So I break it down into the five main triggers of inflammation so that we can keep it you know, easy for our minds to process. So the first part of this is we've all got our underlying genetics, right? And then it's the way that our genetics interact with our food, environmental allergies, environmental toxins, infectious diseases, and stress. And stress can be physical, it can be emotional, right? It could be anything from scoliosis to maybe parents are, you know, don't get along and there's a lot of stress in the household. And so, and we're just in, in integrative and functional medicine, we're just pragmatic about going through those things. We use our conventional medical training and we evaluate what we need to do. And we just often will ask a lot more questions and go a little bit deeper into nutrition, you know, and really I look at a family history much differently now than I did right after my conventional training, because I'm listening for these patterns of excess inflammation, you know, and maybe stress patterns, anxiety, depression, um, addiction, dependencies, because those are usually anxiety or depression that are just being self-medicated. So once we see those, we can make these shifts much earlier on, and we can really help the families understand the dynamics and to shift the nutrition. So when it comes to the nutrition piece of it, it's particularly challenging if when you live in you know, 
in America and you go to school and most of the things on the menu at the school lunch are going to be these highly processed foods. So we have to take it one step at a time. And I know, Chris, this is where you and I are so on the same page, like one little step at a time. And when I first started doing this, I overwhelmed so many families because I would say, do this, do this, do this, and this. And so now what we always do, and what I did in the book is I just did a little seven day mini cleanse for kids. And we just make one change at a time and you can do it each day. But if it, if you need, you can take a week or you can take a month to make each of the changes. And so before you even think about dairy, all we want to do is make sure the kids aren't drinking a lot of sugar drinks, right? Sodas, things like that, because all of those are going to increase inflammation. And we can get into sort of the mini cleanse, but I want to just make sure that everybody understands those five triggers of inflammation, right? So it's food, environmental allergies, environmental toxins, infectious diseases, and stress. Yeah. And speak to this a little bit, Sheila, because I I love the way you have a little picture in your book. I often tell parents of this when when I discuss asthma, which was one of my favorite topics, that if the glass of water, let's say, starts to overflow. Those are symptoms. So if your baseline issues are just below the lip, it doesn't take a lot to push you into wheezing, i.e. you catch a cold or you're stressed out or something, you start wheezing. But if you then go in by your your cup analysis and then remove out, let's say two or three of those and you drop the cup volume in half, so the inflammation precursors reduced by half, it takes a whole lot more to get them to bring symptoms. And I'm sure, you know, speak to that. So you've seen this in kids with ADHD, you've seen this in kids with asthma, most of these diseases, what happens when you start to pick away at these five things? Yep. So the the way I, I love to describe the cup analogy is if you've, right, you've got that cup overflowing and a runny nose is the easiest way to think about it because you're I don't know, it just feels like it's a flowing cup, right? So the the body is the cup and the water is the inflammation. And say you have a lot of environmental allergies. Maybe you've got some tree pollen allergies and you're eating a lot of processed foods and maybe you have a dairy sensitivity. And so maybe you're on an allergy medication all year round. And if we say, okay, we're gonna decrease the processed foods and we're gonna decrease the dairy, we bring that cup of inflammation to where it's only a fourth or a half full. Often then if you get, because we can't cut down all the trees, when you get those variations in the springtime and the tree pollens elevate, you your cup might only go to three fourths to a half or three fourths full. And we may not need the antihistamine medications, or maybe we only need it for you know three or four weeks during the high tree pollen season. And it's, I mean, this was the other thing is that we were just getting rid of medications left and right by just decreasing systemic inflammation. And one of the things I love, you gave a talk actually for a group that we were at a sushi restaurant and you were talking about the avian flu and how we all, because, you know, and you can see inflammation, you know, Chris and I can look at a kid from a mile a mile away and say, all right, they've got dark circles in the, under their eyes, their mouth breathing, their skin is, you know, they've got rough skin and they're, you know, they're coloring 
And a lot of kids and adults in this country are walking around with all this inflammation in part because of the way that we eat in a big part because of the way that we eat. And you talked about, and it's the same with avian flu. It's the same thing with COVID is that you get exposed to a virus that really triggers the inflammatory response. And if, if you've got all this inflammation, it's like a gasoline, you know, this is like a match into a bucket of gasoline and it just goes boom. And we get all of this inflammation and it's, we've seen it once again with the coronavirus, the people who struggled the worst with this and had the worst outcomes were all of the people who had the most systemic inflammation. And it also, it becomes a socioeconomic challenge because if you're in an inner city or in a food desert, you don't have access to these fresh foods and you don't have the taste buds for it. So for everyone listening, that's we want to do this for our own families. And we also want to figure out how do we keep doing this for our entire community and kids who don't have access to these kind of foods. And, you know, I know that Chris and his wife have done a lot of work in, in getting these things into the school systems, which is another challenge. I mean, you remember right. there was another time that they they said they couldn't do fresh fruits and vegetables because they didn't have a way to chop them up. Yeah. In, in, yeah. In it, it's just, it's unconscionable actually that our society has made food in schools, not top priority. I mean, I, I am always incensed by this reality that 66% of these kids average meal supply is calorically dense and nutrient poor. And, and that's such a mess. Like, you know, when I interviewed Bonnie Kaplan last week, one of the biggest pieces of the brain's pie is that it's an energetic machine. So if you're feeding it straight calories, well, yeah, it's running, but are you giving it the cofactors for effective burn? Are you giving it the oil for the motor to do the effective cycling at rev at high rev and not breaking down the engine? So not having these fuel sources on, on board at the front end, that's just not straight calories is a real problem for the kids. And then, as you know, we see these kids come in dysfunctional because the engines are being poorly primed and poorly treated. And so I want you to come back in a little bit. We can segue there whenever you're ready, but this whole point of inflammation has led to you know, as you've discussed, this skin mucosal hollow space disease that we see as, you know, congestion, you know, irritable bowel syndrome, skin disorders, right? So we have an objective view of what's going on inside inflammatory wise, even without doing blood biomarkers. But the bigger problem for me is that sets the framework for these kids to then have secondary problems, i.e. if you are not dealing with your environmental allergies well, or you're smoking in the house, or your exposure to lots of uh, adverse childhood event stress, that situation then begets itself for chronic mucosal inflammation, which then leads to the next piece, which is our hot tub of nice, warm, dark fluid in the ears, in the sinus tract, in the gut, which then breeds bacteria. So to speak to that next piece, what happens then in modern medicine when we keep this inflammatory system rolling with mucosal inflammation and then the infections cause us to prescribe medicines, which lead to huge downstream effects? Mm -hmm. And think about, and I promise to the listeners, we will get to the 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 hopeful side of this. <laughs> We're sound like <laughs> down here. But there's the doom good news. and gloom. <laughs> it's doom and gloom. The good news is you can shift all of it. And the, that's why I love pediatrics is because the kids respond so beautifully to this. Yes, quick. So, 
you go in and it's what we did, you know, before we knew this stuff, right? If you come in and you've got all this inflammation and you continue to get these recurrent ear infections, we're going to give you an antibiotic because we're going to treat the infection, but we're, because the system is inflamed, your immune system isn't going to able be able to work optimally. And that doesn't mean you're, cause we have so many times we have family moms come in and say, my child's got a bad immune system. They don't have a bad immune system. We're just not giving it. We're not, we're not allowing it to function properly because of what we're giving the kids. Uh, so it might be an antibiotic if the child is constipated, which again is inflammation. That means the GI tract is inflamed. So we're not getting that normal, it's called peristalsis. And that's what moves food right from your mouth to your bottom. And if you've got this inflammation in your gut, that is not going to work properly. And we're going to give Miralax, right? How many parents did I convince that it was fine to take Miralax for months on end, even years. And I never stopped. I mean, I did eventually, but I didn't stop to think, well, we don't have a Miralax deficiency. Then the other part of this is our steroids, right? The pharmaceutical industry knows inflammation really well. You know, this million billion dollar industry, so many of the pharmaceutical medications are aimed at decreasing inflammation. So what we do in integrative medicine, right, is we say, we're going to use those medications if we need to, whether it's ibuprofen, steroids, you know, any of the things, but we're going to look at food. So we're going to work from the inside to decrease that inflammation. So we don't need to rely as heavily on the external suppression of inflammation. And that's where you start to see all of these incredible changes. And it's either decreasing medications, sometimes getting rid of them altogether with asthma, right? We can do pulmonary function tests to look to make sure that the kid's lungs are functioning well. And then we can start to ratchet down their inhaled steroids. And just, I mean, just today, one of my patients, he's a he's a little kiddo, two, two-year-old, severe eczema and wheezing, doesn't have asthma yet, but he has a cold today and he's fine. He's, they haven't had to pull out the albuterol and it's because of the full, that systemic, you know, his skin looks beautiful now and we're just able to decrease that inflammation. And so I, I want to say this also, because when I first started doing this, I didn't fully understand that concept of systemic inflammation and how it affects every system of the body. And the thing that I talk about in the book is we don't have fences in the body. So inflammation in one area is inflammation everywhere. And that's why a child, can you say something? Yeah, I was gonna, I was, I was gonna say, you know, it, what I find fascinating, and, and then we'll get right back to you, is that when you look at this, the co adult corollary to what you're exactly trying to say is morbid obesity or somebody who is, uh, their weight issues are so high that they're developing metabolic syndrome diseases of that nature. They get a Rouen-Y gastric bypass. So for the listeners, that is where a surgical procedure goes in and cuts out basically the function of the stomach and letting food basically bypass the stomach, getting to the small intestine. And by doing that, 
the patient loses access to high high volumes of food because they can't handle it, but also they're on programs to help change the food they eat beforehand. Asthma disappears in a humongous subset of this population. To your point, there is no fence between the stomach and the lungs, but you did a gastric bypass, which is basically saying we're getting less of these bad foods. All of a sudden, asthma has gone. We know this stuff is real. All right. That was my side. Go back. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it. And autoimmune conditions too, is I feel like we have autoimmune conditions, um, cancer, all the things. So what the, the thing that I had started to notice is that, so I might have a child with asthma that we pulled off of dairy or constipation. And then mom would come in and say, you know what? I was able to ask Johnny to clean up his room and he didn't have a total meltdown or he's he or she is falling asleep more easily. They're paying attention better in school. So these were all these beneficial side effects that I wasn't sure why that was happening, but like, all right, excellent, we'll take it. Some of you listening may notice that if your child skips two or three days of having a bowel movement, their behavior worsens or they're, they're more irritable, have more trouble falling asleep. And that's simply that, that inflammation is increasing. We're not excreting. Our body is designed, right? We have these metabolic processes happening and our body, we've got to get rid of these things. We've got to, you know, exhale, you know, deep breathing. We need to sweat. We need to have bowel movements to urinate. And all of those, that combination is what's going to help to keep our systems functioning properly. And I'll, I'll use myself as an example also to, to reiterate this about the systemic inflammation is that when I went off, uh, I had, I, I thought I was, you know, I had hypothyroidism. I have an autoimmune condition diagnosed in medical as I was starting medical school. So I had no idea about any of this and, you know, I was doing fine. I would have a bowel movement every day. This is way TMI, but <laughs> it would take me forever. And I mean, the joke in college was like, you know, how long are you going to be in there, Sheila? And when I, and it was, I was through my medical training. I was through my integrative medical training and I took gluten out of my diet. And it was like, my GI system worked, my skin got better. It was like somebody took a bag off my head because I was able to think clearly. And for me, I did gluten first. And then about a year later, I took dairy out of my diet and it was a similar, just even better. I'm more sensitive to dairy, but what we know now from the research is that whether you're sensitive to them or not, dairy and gluten can be inflaming for most people. Um, and I don't, we don't have to go delve down that gluten pathway because we have, I, I do also want to, you know, just kind of go through the studies in my, I wrote an entire chapter on dairy, right? Because we are, it is pounded into our heads in our training that kids need to have two to three cups of milk a day. And so we were, which was another reason I wrote the book because it was, I was saying the same thing over and over and over And then parents would go home and grandparents would give them grief or the babysitter would give them grief. And we needed people just, I wanted to have it all there and to understand that it was the advertising, it was the dairy advertising industry that told us milk equals healthy bones. 
And that's what it is. It's not milk equals health or milk equals a healthy child is we have been told that milk makes us have healthy bones and we need a lot of things for healthy bones. And I'll, so four main things and I did a ton of research as I was writing the book, because again, if I was recommending that parents take their kids off of dairy, I needed to be really sure that they could be healthy and have healthy bones. And so the number one thing for healthy bones is physical activity. Number two, we need adequate amounts of calcium. Yes, but we also need adequate amounts of vitamin D. And then we also need adequate amounts of vitamin K. You know, and there are many other minerals that we need. And we, you know, right, magnesium is another one, but those those four main things are the top ones. And it's, we can get adequate amounts of calcium from many different sources. It doesn't have to be from dairy. Well, and and to your point, the reason dairy became part of the lexicon of human uh, consumption in the United States was partly because of the experiences between the school systems and the dairy council over 80, 90, hundred years ago. It wasn't because health data all of a sudden said we should be consuming lots of dairy. And, you know, Frank Oski wrote a great book, you know, don't, don't, you know, don't drink your milk. Right. And in 1985, so- he wrote that book. Right. And he, of course, was given hard time, blah, 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 all this stuff. But, you know, the 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 true science behind dairy being a necessary uh, piece of our, our dietary uh, existence is is not there. And Walter Will just wrote a big article, Milk and Health, in New England Journal of Medicine, I think it was a couple of years ago. And, and his basic consu- uh, answer was there's a plenty of data that there's a lot of negativity to this, whether it's some cancer issues. And, and you and I know tons of inflammatory stuff in kids. I've probably helped more kids disease trajectory by just removing dairy, especially in the first year of life, than almost anything. And that's just really scary reality. And then we still can't answer the why the frequency seems to be getting higher. You know, why more kids are reacting to the casein protein now than they did in 99, which I'm pretty convinced of that that's, that's actually what's going on. So there's some fascinomas going on here. <laughs> Fascinoma. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, and that's what I, I cited Walter Willett a lot in the book, David Katz. You know, these are some of the, you know, Walter Willett is one of the most cited nutritionists on the planet. He's at Harvard. And, you know, if he's questioning dairy intake, we really need to be, you know, thinking through this. And the the other thing is that our calcium, the amount of calcium we're recommending on a daily basis is quite high compared to what the CDC recommends and to what some other countries recommend. And the reality, and this is what Dr. Willett talks about too, is that if we're actually absorbing the right amount of calcium because our, you know, our system is, is, is working properly, do we really need that amount of calcium? We, we probably can have healthy bones with a lower amount of calcium and that the original calcium studies were only two weeks, two week studies. So, and they haven't been redone. So it's um, anyway, so there's a lot of controversy, but my, my big takeaway for all of you listening is that you can still have healthy bones without dairy and, and, and likely to be much better off from the effects that dairy are causing to you that are negative, not just the thought process that are actually positive for the bones. There's so much negativity 
that comes from this for so many children and adults that your your point being you're not losing anything by taking it away and you're gaining a ton by taking it away so it's actually not just a net negative in one direction it's a push pull both ways for sure and so god well i was gonna say because we we had talked about leaky gut and yeah I think this is a really good place to talk about how that impacts. So if we have, and I have some really wonderful visuals in the book on this. So in our GI tract, right, we have these, these cells, a single layer of cells along our GI tract, and they have nice little, these tight junctions. Think about it like a cement with or bricks with cement in between them that are holding them together is we're supposed to have all these little bricks with cement in between them along our GI tract. But say we're eating dairy and a bunch of processed foods. And those are like little jackhammers on the, on these cells. And so we're going to, these cells are going to start to pull apart. That cement is going to loosen up. And then we're going to start to get these proteins absorbed into the bloodstream that we shouldn't be absorbing and then it hits the bloodstream and it's like a foreign invader. And we get this cascade of inflammation. And that's where we start to see these skin issues, the dark circles, the chronic runny nose, worsening asthma, can be constipation or loose stools. And that goes back to, we don't have fences in the body. So if we have inflammation in one area is inflammation in other areas. And that's what, you know, the medical term, right? It's called a permeable intestine, but, you know, it has come to be called leaky gut because that really describes it well. And it's just basically we're absorbing undigested food particles into our bloodstream. And there's a tremendous amount of research on the downstream effects of that and autoimmune conditions and, and all of these, these illnesses that we've been talking about. Right. And, and to the point of this, without getting into the nitty gritty details of all that, because the science and the immunology of leaky gut is fascinating, <laughs> but the, the reality is if you catch it upstream enough, you can prevent the downstream risks of disease. So I know there's animal models and humans. Now we know that the more antibiotic exposures you get in your existence, the more likely you are to turn on Crohn's disease, inflammatory bowel disease, different disorders of, of the autoimmune nature, and clearly allergy and all these other things that we see. So it behooves us as parents, especially in the pediatric realm, to address these inflammatory space issues. So the, again, the inflammation of the hollow spaces, the skin, everything else that's dealing us in the child form this system where we get exposed to mucus at a higher level than necessary, which leads to antibiotics, which then isn't just treating that little issue. Like you said, you're now messing with the gut bugs, which then can predispose to leaky gut, which then predisposes to secondary autoimmune diseases. So it is a major, major issue. So in your book, you spent a fair amount of time talking about what to do to prevent this issue. What would be your assessment to the average mom, hey, I don't know if my kid has leaky gut or not, regardless of if they have disease yet, but you're saying, I want to prevent my kid from developing secondary problems related to intestinal permeability. What's your, this is what I want you to do. And clearly everybody's going to go read your book anyway, so they'll get it, but in audio form. Absolutely. So we, we will always want to go to the basics. And if we bring it back to okay, we breathe in about 10,000 liters of air a day. We drink, a, you know, one or two liters of water a day, and then we eat 
you know, three meals a day plus snacks. So the first thing, right, you want to make sure that you've got a clean environment that you're breathing in, you know, just that's a, you know, pollution, that kind of thing. We want to be careful. And then clean water, you know, if you can get filtered water, that's really important. And then look at our food. And before you start to go down the path of pulling large food groups out, really just look at, are my kids drinking water? Have we pulled out the sugar drinks? Are we doing artificial dyes and colors? Are we doing a lot of processed packaged snacks? And then what are we doing? Processed fats, meats, and oil. So are we eating out a lot? That's another place that you can, you know, if you're eating out three times a week, can we maybe only eat out once a week? Because all the food that that's going to be, you know, at a fast food restaurant is going to be made in oil. Even fancy expensive restaurants are going to use inexpensive oils that are going to be pro-inflammatory. So always best to eat at home when you can. Um, and for, because the other thing too, that Chris, you and I talked about before this is people want to grab for supplements. And, you know, I use supplements all the time in my practice but if you're just beginning on this journey, that that's where I would really start with the simple things is buy clean, get, you know, filtered water, buy organic or from a local farmer's market whenever possible, or maybe even grow a little bit at your home. And that would, that would decrease your exposure to some of these pesticides, which are going to lead to things like ADHD, leaky gut, um, trouble processing that's going to have impacts on your immune system. And studies show because the organic, non-organic discussion, I think can be a big one, especially between mom and dad. If, if dad is more so the one looking at the bottom line and mom is the one who, who are reading more of the studies, sometimes there needs to be a little you know, come to Jesus where they're both on the same page with this. And what the studies show is that within a week of once you stop feeding kids foods that have the pesticides in them, their urine clears. And what we also know is that the kids with those higher pesticide levels, they have been shown to have higher rates of ADHD. So right, a trouble paying attention in school. Yeah. And so the big argument is always, it's very difficult to prove causation versus association, right? So there's always the argument against organic foods being better because how can you prove causation when when glyphosate or, or some other chemicals in there? And I always come from the adage, when you're struggling with anything, whole foods, clean, minimally processed, clean water, limit your exposure to toxins, find out what your baseline is without exposure to any chemical form of toxin. And then if there you notice you're dramatically better, and then you add back certain foods that have toxins in them, and you notice a difference over time, that's pretty much cause and effect enough for me. And I also come from the adage, what's the benefit of having Roundup in your bloodstream? Yeah. <laughs> You know, nobody can say there's a single added benefit. The only benefit to Roundup is for the farmer. So the machines can crush through the the farm, uh, the farming machines can crush through the wheat faster or or the corn faster, and they can uh, deal with weeds less. But there is zero benefit to the human in that. So, mm, man, I don't know if I want to have this argument on those terms. I'm looking at it from the perspective, if it could cause harm, precautionary principle, 
pull it out, right? And so if you're dealing with a child who's hyperactive, ADHD, unable to focus, really go to the basics first. And I agree 100% with you, food first, supplements have their place, but they are not a responsible answer to not taking care of yourself. Every kid who comes into my office who says, well, I don't eat well, so I'm going to take a multivitamin. Great, take it. Not going to change anything. What changes your health is doing the right things. Multivitamin may have some added value here and there, but in general, that's never going to be a substitute for, for really doing the right thing when it comes to the, the whole food approach. I agree with you whole, implicitly. Well, because it also goes back to if your gut is inflamed, you're, you won't be absorbing that vitamin or mineral. And so right. you know, even in our practice, we don't, we get things started gradually because it's a waste of money to put a supplement into an inflamed system. We're going to have expensive urine and stool. So we want to make sure as you decrease that gut inflammation and systemic inflammation, you will more effectively and efficiently absorb nutrients from your food, which is going to impact your immune system, your GI system, your ability to focus. Mm -hmm. And iron deficiency is another good example. We see kids all the time with low iron and we're able to get their iron levels out often without using iron because it's getting, you know, allowing the body to do what it's supposed to do and then giving, feeding the adequate foods. Right. And even if you do need to treat with iron, let's say they're low enough where you do add it in, um, let's say their ferritin is below 50 and they have sleep issues. Once the diet's fixed within a year, most of those kids are off iron without need anymore. And the fascinoma for me is especially the teenagers who need it. It's always a year or two later, they come back in, chief complaint, can't sleep well, restless all night. And I'm like, well, what's going on with your diet? And well, yeah, I'm back cheating. And let's look at your ferritin comes back 22. Okay, well, we got our problem again. Let's go back to the drawing board. And then they write the ship again. And it's, it's unfortunate, but that is the human nature of our reality that we, in the absence of feeling bad, we go back to our old bad habits until we start feeling bad again. It's like, well, let's just stop going down these bad pathways if we can help it. Well, which is also why I wrote the book, because we want to get these kids before they're in crisis mode, right? Because a lot of times families who seek us out, it's because the kids are in crisis mode. And it's a lot easier to do this before they get to that point. And I I wrote in the one of the one of the little, I, I wrote these a few different roadmaps toward the end of the book. And I wrote about the supplement roadmap, the nutrition roadmap, and then the cumulative inflammatory roadmap. And it's exactly what you talked about is that you'll be, you know, we're trucking along, we're doing great, eating the way that our body, what works with our bodies. And then we kind of write a pandemic hits or, you know, maybe a grandparent gets sick and one parent has having to be over and help the grandparent. And so you're eating fast food more often and symptoms creep back in. We just, all you have to do is just have that, that knowledge is power. Just get back on the wagon and get your eating back in check. And those symptoms usually start to improve again. And it's, um, yeah. And, and let's say, let's just take the draconian understanding of COVID, right? So let's say you're waiting to do the right thing and you're 50 and your microbiome is messed up and you're overweight where you should be and you're severely inflamed. And oh, by the way, a new pandemic starts and you happen to be on the front end of that pandemic and you happen to catch it and die. Like, 
Well, in this case, there's no option for waiting, right? You may be too late. And I know, you know, Yale Yonkers work with Alessio Fasano and kids, the the multi-inflammatory syndrome, all of those kids tested had abnormal microbiomes in the gut. They had significant dysbiosis, which allowed the spike protein to leak into the bloodstream, driving that inflammation. We don't want to wait for this stuff to happen. We want these kids solid, like what I call immune solvency all the time, so that no matter what pandemic shows up, we're ready to tackle it, handle it, and not drop dead and pray, you know, that that's not the end of our game. It's it's a different story when you have these opportunities to back the truck up because the disease hasn't gone so far to wipe you out. But boy, these things may not be the same anymore. And a million Americans now understand that, unfortunately, um, from the grave, right? 97 out of every 100 deaths is related to four diseases, all of which are driven by American pro- ultra-processed food. That is really sobering. And say that point, one more time, Chris, because that is so important. Yeah, 97 out of every 100 deaths from COVID in America was related to four diseases, obesity, diabetes, heart disease, and high blood pressure, all of which have one antecedent risk factor. That's processed, ultra-processed American foods over time. And that reality is what's set in for me tremendously and what's really frustrating is there has been zero media coverage. In, 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 in the other side, it's actually shameful for you to cover this because you're actually blaming somebody for their choices in life. And I'm like, no, it's called awareness. And it's called, boy, if I'm potentially going to drop dead, give me some awareness. Let's not hide this reality. And, and that to me is the big frustrating part. When I spoke to Alessio Fasano, one of the things we talked about was the fact that the multi-inflammatory syndrome in these kids that had bad outcomes or got really sick was related to their dysbiosis, which we know is being driven by chemicals, bad food, the things you've already laid out in your book and we just talked about. So, you know, I think it, it's it, it's where the rubber meets the road should be way earlier than disease and death. Let's, let's figure this thing out beforehand. So the more awareness there is around upstream risk, the better off humans will be. And I think that's what your book has done very well. It's, it's, it's a layout of, of why, right? And sometimes we don't have all the answers yet scientifically, right? Like I sat and talked to a couple different GI guys about leaky gut and it's still, it's still confusing. You know, we still don't understand what microbes do what in the gut. We have some understanding. We're still at penicillin stage for probiotics, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be addressing it and looking at it to the best we can. We know that people on healthy diets have the best microbiomes from a species perspective, diversity. We know diversity breeds health in every ecosystem on earth. Why would it be different in humans? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Sheila, I think that's the beauty of what you've done, writing out this information and and I know I you know you and I both have dealt with people telling us you know we're crazy we're this we're that you shouldn't be talking about this you know medicine is is about double blind placebo controlled studies and I'm tired of that I, I know and it because it takes that's why it was also nice to have the support of the fellowship and just in you and I and our other colleagues because you have to keep it's like every day you kind of keep bolstering your, okay, I can do this. I can do this, even though it's not what mainstream is talking about. Um, but I did, I want to say this too, because the, the, one of the most fun things for me is to end, 
to stop the endless doctor visits and the specialist visits, right? Because what we want, well, you want to be with your kids and you want to have belly laughs and you just want to have fun. <laughs> and that's what, that's what I always say. That's my goal for your family. And it's, you know, we're going to talk about all this science stuff in the food, but really this is what we want. And then if we can get you to a place where you can have you know, treats, you go to birthday parties, you go to things like that so that you don't have to live on a tightrope and you, you know, one little thing throws your whole system off. You know, we'd, we'd like you to be on a big wide plank so that you can enjoy things, you know, intermittently, not all the time, but mostly so that you can just have fun with your kids and laugh and do all the things. And it's the, the, the one other study so that we don't, I don't want to, um, we want to, I want to keep going with the positives because there's so many things that you can do are the things that feed your microbiome, right? They're fruits, vegetables, fiber, nuts, seeds, you know, chia seed, flax seed, hemp seed, just stick a little of those in a smoothie every day. And the studies show people who have 30, or more different plants per week have the most diverse microbiomes, right? That, you know, that's just being, you know, maybe you can start to keep track or do little fun things with your kids that will help expand what they're eating and just making it fun. Uh, Which also brings in the piece about authoritative parenting, not authoritarian, but authoritative, right? So when your kid says, I won't eat that, my response is, hey, that's okay with me, but this is what we're eating. Well, I'm not eating that. I love you. That's okay. But this is what we're eating. Instead of what have, uh, we often see too often as well, kids menu, here you go. Well, kids menu is junk food. And if your decision to feed your kid junk food is the way you want them to exist, well, unfortunately, then everything we're talking about is going to come into play because those foods are what are going to feed the diseases that then need our support, which we don't want you to need, right? To some extent, we're trying to make ourselves obsolete from a medical perspective, right? So if if we want to have a successful society, we need to be parents again, which means I love you too much to argue. This is what we're eating, right? So it worked for a million years. Why has it not worked the last 50? It does. It does. We just need to be there. So give me some others, right? So fiber, fruits, vegetables, whole foods, you know, what else? And go into the spiritual, the exercise, all of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's also one of the huge, I have such a, a huge interest in this area because once you start recognizing it, the, the energetics of the family dynamics, that it's, if you watch a family and just let's say it's stressed, maybe there's some, I'll give an example. I had a, a couple in my office one years ago and they, the, they were coming in because the little boy wouldn't eat and he was such a picky eater. And the tension between these parents was so high that I had a stomach ache. And I said to them, you know, if this is if this is happening with me right now, you know, just think about what's happening with your son. And I said, I, you know, I, if you're willing to go to counseling, then we can work together. But until then, I think you can be on all the supplements and all the great food on the planet, but we're not going to have optimal digestion 
for him because there's this stressful environment and it's not about blame or they didn't cause this with the child. It's just, again, it goes back to recognizing and it's, and that's a very extreme case. So it's, it goes back to doing, having mom and dad really as the number one, doing the things that keep them healthy and happy. And it's going to be a trickle down effect with the kids not living like mom and dad's relationship is priority. Number one, mom and dad's physical, emotional health is number one. And then the kids, it's not about do everything to cater to the kids. It's just really think about it as a shift because they're going to do what we do and they're going to watch us taking care of ourselves. And it's about seeing them, having them see you mess up, having them see you fight and then saying, Hey, you know, seeing you make up and apologize to one another, or if you lose your temper and yell at them, you just apologize and forgiving yourselves, which that, you know, I think that we're very good in this country at blaming ourselves for things. So the more that we can model that positive self-talk, that ability to make mistakes and forgive ourselves for whatever we did, that, that to me is really the best way to start the health journey for your family and the physical activity. I mean, we all know, I say this every single day in my practice, there is nothing we can do from a supplement or a food that recreates the benefits that physical activity have on the body and, you know, right. And being outside and and even impacting our gut microbiome. So we've got to look at the entire picture of things. And when you're feeling there's, I just finished reading a book called, what was it called? The Art of the Impossible. Um, But it's about getting in flow. And we always think about athletes as getting in flow. And it's when we're inspired, when we're feeling like, this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing right now, whether it's, it might be doing the laundry or, you know, making dinner or, you know, driving the kids around. It's whatever it is, whatever it is that drives you. When you get into that zone, that's when our bodies are in that healthy state because you're in that state of it, you know, you're, you're going to have been in that state of relaxation. Um, you know, you do have that times of stress, whether it's physical activity, but it's usually a good state. And then you're going to be able to go into your relaxed state much more quickly when you're living from that place of inspiration versus drudgery. Like I've got to get up. I've got to go do this. Yeah. My dad used to say it was the horse pulling the cart in the same direction. If you have a horse on each side of the cart, pulling it in the other ways, you pull apart. That's you working in a job you don't like, or you doing something you don't like when you're aligned with your purpose it's an, it's not even work. Like I go to work every day and I don't even consider work. It's fun. It's like an absolute joy to do what we do and the gifts we've been given to be able to do this. And to your earlier point, I used to say all the time, nutrition is number one in health, right? And then, then spirit was number two and and exercise was number three. And I, I'm not convinced anymore. I think the mind is probably number one. And then number two is probably movement. Um, the data really supports that the per- the people who exercise the most live the longest. And exercise is not marathons. 
you know, they're talking, um, you know, when the studies were done in Japanese individuals who had to walk up the hills daily to do whatever their chore was or manual labor was, these these folks had long lives. And often it's a, a life with purpose too. And then obviously the third big piece that you've we've discussed ad nauseum t- so far is the nutrition piece is massive, primarily not so much from the food choices we're making in a whole food diet, it's more the choices of the ultra processed stuff coming in. Because I mean, if you look around the world, the diets of historical precedents are varied, like Inuit Eskimos versus Ethiopians versus, you know, Chinese individuals versus, you know, uh, Native Americans, they were all disparate, yet health was primarily very good. It's only when you start adding in these massive ultra processed foods filled with these refined sugars, oils, that's when the system starts to break down. And to your point, I think it's all inflammatory. I think COVID just freaking shined the biggest spotlight on the planet on this reality. But yeah. Sheila, this is lovely. You're, we we need to come back and do another hour because I, I got a lot of places I'd love to dive deep with you, especially around parenting and around the ways to get this message to people in their heart, not just in their mind. Because I think that's another big piece I'd love to explore, you know, getting people to feel it instead of just hear it, um, because I think that helps people make better change. But I want to be conscious of your time and the listener's time. I have one last question. And I ask this of everybody. So, and I didn't prep you beforehand. So you're on the spot and this is the fun part. So if you have a golden ticket and you get one ask of Congress or the president, and that ask goes into effect, as soon as you make the ask, I'm going to ask for school lunch to be changed. So that is hundred percent whole food and beneficial to the child's health. What would you ask for? Oh, it would have to be two, two. I would, I would <laughs> Because I've only had one other person say they have to have to. Ah, that's so funny. <laughs> I've never been a good rule follower. So it would it would be first. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. I agree. Sheila is not a good rule follower. Second that one. Okay, perfect. Now you get a chance to get your two. <laughs> it would be to change the way our public schools are funded. That would be the first one. And the second would be 100% change our food policies and change what we're paying farmers to grow, change what's being put in schools. I mean, we're essentially poisoning ourselves. You know, you just said it with COVID. You said it. We know that it's right. It's 85% of chronic disease is lifestyle and diet. And it's, it's hard. We, from a public health standpoint, smoking is a good example is that we changed what we accepted as the norm and smoking was no longer considered sexy and cool. And it significantly decreased the rates of smoking. And that was a, a, a really um, concerted public health effort. And if we did that same thing with food, imagine the changes that we would see. Yeah, and how the economics of that haven't risen all the way to the top makes no sense. The 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 budgetary reality of Medicare and Medicaid should be enough to tell the government we need to change food policy, because that would really significantly down the street uh, reduce the cost structures of what's being paid out to deal with all these diseases. I mean, you know, the medicines people are taking to deal with food related illnesses. I would love to see the number. It has to be a trillion dollars a year. It has to be. It's it's insanity. So Insane, yeah, to your point, right? And it's 
we've got kids uh, with ADHD and autism, and then we've got the adults with Alzheimer's and dementia. It's how we're not, this is all a continuum and it's all about blood flow and inflammation. And um, so. Yeah. I'd love to geek out on the science on one of these podcasts. Um, This was the perfect segue for folks into the, the, where the news to use is for moms and and practitioners to hear this part, uh, you know, the reality. So Sheila, for folks who want to get involved in your world, follow you on blog, follow you on your website, you know, uh, read your book, uh, what would you recommend? Obviously, you know, Healthy Kids, Happy Moms is available on Amazon. Um, You know, what else, how else do you want people to follow you? Yeah. So SheilaKilbane.com is my website. It's just S-H-E-I-L-A-K-I-L-B-A-N-E.com. And there's a little, you can click on the book link and we've got a bunch of free downloads. We have a blog and I always talk about it in terms of there are three ways that you can, you know, access this information. You can do the book, right? That's very inexpensive. I have an online course that's, I wrote the book I wrote 120,000 words and the book could only be 65,000 words. So the online course has just more. And then you could also come and see me in my practice. So um, it's, yep, those are the main ways. And, um, you know, I do lots of podcasts and things like this. And I appreciate you having me on. This has been very fun. And it's, it's been great because Chris and I have gone through this. I, we've sort of evolved together in our, you know, I was a, you know, I was just coming out of the phase of conventional medicine and I was, I was still a bit miserable when he and I were working together and he was, he was, he was very, very kind because I was still kind of figuring out my stride of how I wanted to do this. And um, it was, so we have we have a lot of good history together. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Sheila, I love you and I love all the work we've been able to do together. I love your work specifically and the effort you've put in in this lifetime so far and the more that's coming. Uh, it's just an absolute pleasure to watch your career explode over the years and do what you've done. And now we get to chit chat together like this and send it out to the world for people to to absorb what they can from it and, and grow. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much for this and for all that you're doing. You are a brilliant, brilliant man. You're the best, Sheila. I love it. Until next time. All right. Ciao. So hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Uh, Clearly, we go back a long way and have had so much fun together. But, you know, when I think about what the news to use, which there were many parts that came out of that conversation that are take-home points. But the bigger thing for me is that medicine really needs to be more focused on each individual patient and not in this, what we've been putting in protocolized scenarios. Protocols work for certain things, but in general, medicine needs to be completely individualized to the person in front of you. What are their needs from a nutrition perspective, a spiritual perspective, a movement perspective, a toxin avoidance perspective, a specific disease treatment perspective, whatever they are, they all need to be narrowed down to the point that that 
person's dysfunction is alleviated or at least mitigated to some extent. Moving upstream is clearly the best answer, as far up as you can get to change the outcome direction. When we talk about things like double-blind placebo-controlled studies and cohort studies and population health studies, they're useful, right? And double-blind placebo-controlled studies will always be the gold standard of proving right from wrong as far as causation and effect. But we don't have double-blind placebo-controlled studies for a lot of things that we need to do and understand and change. And, and nutrition is one of the biggest places where that is fraught with peril. Doing double-blind placebo-controlled studies in nutrition-based therapies are very difficult. But boy, it's really hard to look at a situation where you've removed dairy from a child's diet, their mucus disappears, they stop getting ear infections, stop having eczema, and oh, by the way, everything else looks better. You know, it's hard to look at that and say, I need a double-blind placebo-controlled study to show that worked for that child. No, I don't think we do. And Dr. Kilbane and I have spent the better part of our careers now noticing that these trends in children are true and that the outcomes are better when we start to individualize care. And for all those listening, I think the bottom line is that when you go to your provider of care, you need to be looking at them asking, hey, what is it about my child that's specific that could make this issue that we're dealing with today different? How can we change up things like nutrition? exercise, spirituality, toxin avoidance, or some other variable that is causing upstream targets to be broken, changing the pathway of the river towards a, a disease state. That's the reality. That's the point of this podcast, frankly. And I think, you know, if you have the opportunity to buy her book, I would. Dr. Kilbane has spent a lot of time putting this book together. Is it perfect? No. No books are perfect. I wrote a book and I haven't published it and it's not perfect. It's just sitting there. There's too much variable reality in everything we talk about. I know that when I started medicine back in the 1990s, things I was taught then, which were gold standard realities, are no longer true. So things that are in this book, things that are in other books, they will be proven false over time, but that which we know in each person works, amen. The biggest thing, as always, is being true to our Hippocratic Oath, do no harm. So when we ask folks to do things like cut out dairy out of your diet, what's the downstream risk? We need to look up at that and say, hey, is cutting out dairy going to cause a problem? And that may be true if the child only eats chicken nuggets and french fries. Dairy might have been one of the best foods they had. However, in a diet that's normal, vegetables, fruits, nuts, beans, seeds, meat, and fish primarily, cutting out dairy is inconsequential and frankly, probably the best thing you could do. So that's the big take home. Individualize your care. Talk to your provider about specifics. Look at your environment, where you live. Try and find groups that have providers like Dr. Kilbane who are looking at your child through the lens of ends of one with their old historical beliefs about every other child they've seen. With that being said, again, Appreciate all of your time and effort. Hug those kids and just have a great day. Now for the disclaimer. The information provided in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It's not a substitute for advice or treatment provided by your physician or the healthcare professional and is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue. It does not constitute the formation of a provider-patient relationship. Have a great day.